welcome to the Fantasy Ace Ball Podcast. This is your host, Tim Kanak. You can find me on Twitter, X, whatever, at Fantasy Ace Ball. You can find the written stuff over on Friends of Fantasy Benefits and over at Fantasy Pros for Dynasty-type stuff. And with us today, there's no Raymond, but we have a special guest. It's Justin Mason. Talking about Friends of Fantasy Benefits, he's the master, the the... The, I cannot call you the godfather of Friends of Fantasy Benefits. I can't even call you the godfather of Friends of Fantasy Benefits because I got yelled at last time. So you're, you're, you're no godfather at all. You're, you're godson or whatever. But <laughs> at Justin Mason, FWFB. What's up, Justin? Nothing much, man. It's always great to come on and talk to you. Uh, you do great work. So, uh, you know, just a, another beautiful day of prep time. Oh, yes, exactly. And I get to laugh at everybody because uh, – Talking about beautiful days. I'm in Florida. It's nice and warm, and everyone else is <laughs> having a hard time of it right now. So, <laughs> yeah, can, luck, luckily, uh, yeah, luckily today is the first nice day we've had in a week. Uh, I mean, it's been torrential downpours to the point where my uh, my apartment, my apartment, my uh, my office, which is an outdoor tough shed, was surrounded by water. Like I was like I had a moat um around my office which was uh, not very fun to try to get into uh you know multiple times a day so i'm very glad the sun has come out it's actually supposed to hit 70 this weekend here in california so uh i'm very 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 grateful i know around the country people are uh, freezing their butts off so uh, hopefully uh, people can stay warm from the dulcet tones of our voices <laughs> i like that uh, so Justin, you got a lot going on. You're, you were just talking pre pod that you're doing everybody's catcher podcast. So you are just Mr. Catcher this year. Mm-hmm. Basically that means that your takes are going to supersede everybody else's takes for catchers because everybody is going to just hear you on the catcher podcast. So don't fuck up. You better get it right. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a good year to be on catcher pods. I mean, um, you know, I've been playing fantasy for, 20 something years and I've been in the industry for seven or eight years now. And man, like the catching position has never been so deep and so good. Like, you know, it's, I mean, I, back in the day when I first started playing fantasy, I remember my league mates would just, just mock you relentlessly. If you spent more than a dollar at the auction table on a catcher, like they just (laughs) would, they would absolutely mock you um, relentlessly. And now You've got, you know, 20 plus catchers that are worth drafting, uh, especially depending on how deep your league is. So it's a it's a good year to be on catcher previews. Yeah, the young guys, the young guys are fun. There's a lot of fun young guys. But before we get into the catchers, uh, TGFBI, I want you to pump TGFBI a little bit because today is January 23rd and I believe the deadline is coming up, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, end of the month. Just about a little over a week left before the uh, the TGFBI signups uh, kind of conclude, and um, you know it's typically around 400 plus analysts uh, that cover you know some sort of aspect of fantasy baseball. I, I, I use that really loosely um, to try to incorporate as many people as we can, uh, and we also do satellite leagues, um, which um, you know the way I do that is if you win your satellite league, you get into the next year's TGFBI. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, if you are interested in that, you go over to tgfbi.com and sign up for the actual contest. If you're making content or for one of the satellite leagues, if you want to try to win your way into next year's. And I've talked about this before, I think last time you were on our podcast, but TGFBI should be, and it was for me, great motivation 
to start creating content and kind of like get in the game. Because when I saw all these people signing up for TGFBI, it was like four years ago or whatever. I was like, oh, that's something I want to do. And then I emailed you and you're like, are you making content? And I was like, well, I post on Twitter. <laughs> you're like, you're like, dude, come on, you could do something. So then I just started, I was like, okay, screw it. So I just started my own podcast. And then I thought about the F scores and created the F scores. And here we are now, 160 whatever podcasts in. So it's uh it's always so cool when I talk to people in the industry and they're like, hey. I got part of the reason I got into the industry was so I could be in TGFBI, like and guys like you, Chris Clegg, like, you know, real like good guys in the industry um, and gals in the industry uh, that have like, yeah, just they were like, oh, you know, I'm I was kind of on the fence about creating content. And then this kind of was like this was a little extra bonus. So um, it's a uh, it's a cool legacy that TGFBI has. And I think we're going to have another year uh, that's going to be really fun with a lot of new people. Uh, getting involved as well. So, um, and it raises money for charity. Like, so, uh, you know, we, we tend to raise anywhere from, you know, three to $5,000 a year uh, for, for a charity. So it's a, you know, it, it's all for good cause. It shines light on people in the industry that may not get that light shined on them uh, just kind of naturally speaking. And then we get to make, uh, make a little cash for people who, uh, who need it around the country. Yeah, it's a win-win. So if you're thinking about making content, just do it. Just make make a few pieces of content, send it over to Justin, be like, look, I'm applying. I did it. Am I in? And get in and try to beat me. Try. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you try. Yeah. Unless it, you're going it, to. You can try. <laughs> it's not as easy as it seems. It's um it's one of those yeah, things. I got I got cocky because I won my first year and then mm -hmm. <laughs> so I got a little cocky last year. I was in a league with like all the pitcher list guys. It was like me and then like Nick and then like seven other pitcher list guys. And I was like, Oh, well when it comes to pitchers, this is going to be fun now. <laughs> See? And, and that's when like, cause you know, all the pitcher list guys, they subscribe to the whole, like don't draft pitching early. Uh, that's when you just, you know, you just start getting deals, right? Like you got, you got to go against the grain and, and, and swoop up all the pitching. Um, but yeah, pitcher list, man, they got so much staff. Nick does such a good job over there that like, I feel like half of the leagues have like, or like halfway full with pitcher list dudes. So, <laughs> um, but it's a testament to what they do over there. I love, love those guys. Yeah, for sure. A uh, little news and notes here. Uh, maybe Josh Hader actually broke the, the, the spell on the free agency period, because we've seen some signings the last couple of days. We had, Aralis Chapman signing with the Pirates, which is kind of interesting. Probably looking to get traded again at the deadline. Uh, what do you think about that move? It's very interesting. Um, Pittsburgh was not where I had him going. Uh, I really thought, especially after Hayter signed, because um, everybody, including myself, had thought, hey, Hayter's going to end up in Texas with the Rangers, not in Texas with the Astros. Uh, and so I was like, okay, well, a role this Chapman's got to end up with the Rangers, right? The Rangers have lost a ton of their, of their bullpen uh, this off season. Um, and they have not added to it at this point. So uh, really interesting to see that a team like the pirates who, you know, they're getting better. They're going to be competitive. And I mean, they theoretically could be competitive this year um, would go and get a guy like Chapman, uh, especially on a rental. Right. So, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably one of those guys where they go, listen, we're going to try to put our best foot forward and see what happens. And if for some reason we're not competitive, as they haven't been in a number of decades, um, they probably go, all right, we'll flip him to a contender. So I don't think he challenges Bednar for that job at all. Um, I think this is just uh, depth. I think outside of maybe like a draft champions or NL only, you're not super interested in Chapman. Yeah, kind of happened with the Royals. The thing is with Bednar, like that dude has never been, I don't, I don't remember him ever getting injured. So no. like, I don't know. Is it, <laughs> I'm like, it's going to happen sometime. So <laughs> that might be the... I mean, I, anybody can get hurt at any point. I mean, but at this point, Especially like pitchers. if it feels like Bednar is one of just those undervalued targets, right? Like one of those guys that like continuously um, overperforms whatever his ADP is every year. Uh, and you know, there's always these rumors that he's on the block, but I mean, who cares, right? If, if Bednar were to get traded, he, he'd be a closer wherever he went. Like, can't imagine he's going, you know, going to get traded to set up. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I love Bednar still, uh, carried me to a number of championships last year and I'm very thankful. So the side news with this Chapman thing is that the pirates came out before they signed him. I guess it was pro- I think it was yesterday too, the same day or whatever. They said, oh, we're planning to compete in 2024. And so they say that, and then you're just like, yeah, okay, you're the Pirates, whatever, shut up. And then they go and spend money on a Raldis Chapman, who's, funny enough, their most expensive player on their roster now. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of, to me, gives me hints of, well, what does that mean for Paul Skeens? Does that mean Skeens might actually be coming up sooner than what people think? Because he did pitch a ton of innings in college last year, so it's not like he has to create a workload for himself. Like, yeah, I know he only pitched like three or four innings or whatever in the minors, but he pitched, I think like 130 innings or something close to that in college last year. So he could easily come out and pitch 150, 160 innings if he's healthy this year. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with him because their rotation ain't that great. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I would be very, very surprised if he's like on the opening day roster, right? Like I think he's, he, he needs some time against professional hitters um, in the minor leagues uh, in order to kind of just give him a little bit of seasoning. So I'd be, I'd be just shocked if, if somehow he made the opening roster, unless he just goes out and just is dominating people in spring training, um, you know, dominating like, you know, premier major leaguers in spring training, uh, not beast B squads. Like I think he's going back down to the minor leagues uh, at least for a month. But if the Pirates get off to a hot month to start the season, that's a winnable division. I mean, the Cardinals were down last year. I don't think Cubs have gotten any better this offseason. The Reds are interesting um, and have a lot of upside, but they also have a lot of bust potential, and they didn't do much to bolster that rotation at all. So, uh, like, they're in the Brewers, who won the division last year, they don't have Woodruff now. Maybe they trade Burns. Like all of a sudden, this goes from being um, a, a division that uh, probably wasn't competitive for the Pirates to looking more like the AL Central than the NL Central, and uh, that anybody can win it at any point. So I don't blame the Pirates for for thinking like, "Hey, we're going to be competitive this year." Are they going to actually win that division? I don't think so. I just I agree with you. Like that rotation isn't good enough. Um, but, 
uh, that offense is much better than I think. And I said this going into last year, like this offense is much better than people give it credit for. I still think that way, uh, especially with the return of O'Neill Cruz, uh, hopefully to full health. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's a fun and, team to watch. And Hayes got some power. It looks like going to the end of last year, you started hitting homers and you're like, Oh, finally <laughs> it's about time this came around. Uh, the other news we had was James Paxton going to the Dodgers, which more or less cements that six man rotation rumor with the Dodgers that we were hearing about. The only thing that I think about with Paxton, because he's the only left in the rotation, is what about Kershaw? Like, with them bringing Paxton on, does that mean Kershaw coming back in, you know, the second half or whatever? Is that just, like, out of the equation? Is he going to be a Ranger now? Or is it more like Paxton, they just expect someone to go down, Paxton to go down, like, one of these guys in the first half to go down, and then Kershaw's going to come in when that happens. Like, what are your thoughts on Kershaw, the Dodgers, Paxton, six-man? Uh, I mean, I don't think this affects Kershaw that much. Um, I think that if Kershaw wants to pitch for the Dodgers, he's going to pitch for the Dodgers. And I think it's really completely up to him on whether or not he even wants to pitch uh, anymore. Uh, but, like, I I think you kind of alluded to it right there in your opening, which was, like, at some by the time June rolls around, like, there's going to be injuries. Or they feign an injury like they do all the time just to keep guys innings totals low, right? All of a sudden, like, you know, someone has back spasms or, you know, hangnail or whatever, <laughs> uh, and needs to, you know, take 15 days off, uh, and then just kind of rotate through the guys like that. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like this, this Dodgers team is clearly the best team in baseball on paper entering the season, it's, especially in the rotation has a lot of question marks, right? Walker Bueller is coming off of Tommy John, you know, I think Yamamoto is going to be very, very good, but we won't know until we actually see him against Major League Hitting. Uh, Tyler Glass now has never been able to stay healthy at the Major League level. Uh, Bobby Miller, I think he's a stud, but it's a second year. Like, there's a lot for him to learn. Emmett Sheehan, second year. Uh, James Paxton, can he stay healthy? Like, there's a lot of ifs. And so we could get to June, and they only have three starting pitchers in this rotation. Uh, that started the year in the rotation because of injuries. Uh, and I would not be surprised. So yeah, I think, I think Kershaw is still very much in play for them. Who are you picking? You, you just put this little question in my head between Paul Skeens and Emmett Sheehan and a DC. Like I, Sheehan, I think went a few, like I just saw Skeens go in like the 22nd round or something in one that I'm in. And I think Sheehan went quite a bit earlier, like 16th or 17th round or something. So now with the Dodgers bringing in packs in, and kind of like getting another guy in that rotation. And the Pirates actually showing that, hey, we actually are trying to compete. We're not just joking around here. Like, do you, do you think Ski, like Ski, I don't know. Like, who are you, who would you rather have at this point that now with this, all this new news, uh, Skeens or Sheehan? Uh, all right. So Skeens is going 337. Um, and Sheehan is going almost 100 picks before. Uh, 244 over the last month in draft champions. Um, I think at the price, I'm definitely going schemes, but I think even maybe straight up, I'd go schemes. Like, I do think that, um, you know, I'm not the type of guy that invests very highly in prospects, uh, especially in draft champions. I know that a lot of people think that's counterintuitive, but I just wrote a big article for Fantasy Pros on my draft uh, champions, uh, or draft and hold strategy. Um, and I, you need volume, 
Like, right? You need you need guys to like provide volume to win these leagues, especially if you want to compete in the overall, because you're talking about almost five thousand people in the overall of a draft champions league. So and to invest in a guy who's a rookie, you don't know when he's coming up. Like, I think he's gonna be up in May. Um, or I think it's a really good chance. Like, if he's not up till the end of August, I would not be surprised. Like, it's the pirates, right? Like, if the pirates yeah. Start off horribly. Like, what incentive do they have to start his cl- start Paul Skeens's clock? So, uh, I have drafted Paul Skeens. I just did it in my most recent DC. I can't remember where I got him, but it was it wasn't even at ADP. Um, it was I think probably outside the top four hundred. Um, and I have not drafted Sheehan. I have not even entertained drafting Sheehan because I don't know how much Sheehan's even in this rotation for. So, um, yeah, I'm. I think I would lean Skeens pretty heavily. Yeah, it's interesting. I th- I'm this. I'm the same team right now with that. Um, so this is our first podcast, really digging into the F scores this year. If you want to read more about some of the F scores I've released on Friends with Fantasy Benefits, catchers, second base, and shortstop are all up right now. I skipped first base for now just because there's still so m- like Belly hasn't signed yet. There's so many free agents that haven't signed yet that like for me because I use park factors and lineup factors and stuff like that in the F score. So I'm like, there's too many important people for me. Like the guys missing second base were people that don't really matter. <laughs> like no offense to them, but like, it's like your 50th second baseman or whatever. So it's like, who cares if I like don't have their park factor added into their F score. But uh, so I've kind of skipped first for now. And then I think we'll see if probably third base will be next just because belly is messing around. I don't know. I've got Chapman at third. I'm kind of waiting on. So we'll see. But, it's um, so frustrating as a person who does projections um, to like, you know, like have to just sit there and kind of like leave that guy blank. It messes, like we said, it messes with the whole pool of that position when you're trying to run numbers and go, okay, where do these guys go? So um, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm with you. We need, we need these guys to sign, especially like the big four left. Uh, they, they need to kind of sign. Yeah, just get on board. There was one dude. It was Robert Stevenson. I when he signed, I moved him up so much <laughs> with where he signed. I don't think I've ever moved like at least while I've been doing this, like the last couple of months. I, don't, I haven't moved anyone up that many spots from just changing teams. I think all off season. So that's that's like my number one mover, just from team M, team impact or whatever, because he's probably gonna get the saves. Uh, good chance anyway. So as far as what I've done with offense and F scores, I'm always trying to evolve it. I'm always trying to update it. And I had a podcast back a couple months ago with John Anderson, and we kind of nerded out on a lot of the stats and like what matters and what doesn't and correlations and stuff like that. And some of the things that I wanted to get better at this year with the F scores was trying to figure out what is going to be more predictive for batting average. Because last year, I absolutely killed it in like every points in OBP league I'm in. And then my batting average leagues, I was like at the bottom of like almost all of them just because I had way too much emphasis on plate discipline, discipline and I think power uh, over contact in my F scores. So I'm kind of trying to even that out a little bit and things that I've done to help the F scores is in my F contact, I added sweet spot percentage into my F contact, which I'm trying to make it more of like quality contact rather than just like, Oh, yep, the bat hit the ball. It's more like, no, I want to make sure that the bat hits the ball in a positive manner, not just like, hey, this is going to be a dinky ground ball or whatever, 
or an infield fly ball. So some of the things I've added is sweet spot percentage. I'm using career BABIPs rather than just like league average BABIPs as a standard because some guys have really high, just they just run high career BABIPs. And if you use their league average BABIP, when you're trying to figure out BABIP and batting average and stuff like that, rather than their career average, their career BABIP, that's going to throw you off because like a guy like Max Muncy, who has a terrible career BABIP, is going to be averaged out in a way that he shouldn't be. And then a guy who has a really high career BABIP, like I'll just use Nolan Jones as an example right now, like his career BABIP, it's only a year and a half or whatever, is insane. It's like 400 or whatever. So like you have to kind of balance out the league average BABIP with the career BABIP to make an equation that works. So that's something I've done. And then I'm using zone contact and contact percentage at the same time. This is one of the things that John and I were talking about that He's kind of like, why even use zone contact? Just use contact percentage because you're double counting things if you're using both of them. But my thought process is there are there are some hitters that have a really high zone contact, but then they have a really low contact rating, which means that they're out. That means that they're just not good at hitting the ball outside of the zone, but they hit the ball really well inside of the zone, and they might be a good hitter. So I think that tells you that if your zone contact rate is higher. That means you're swinging at the pitches you should be swinging at and you're going to make better quality contact using zone contact than if you're just using contact rate. Cause if you're a guy like Tim Anderson or whatever, who swings or Javier Baez, you swing at everything, even if it's outside of the zone, then you're not going to make as good of contact on that pitch that you're reaching for way outside of the zone as if it were in the zone. And then for contact, the last thing that I added into the equation was reverse infield fly ball. So basically like the higher your infield fly ball rate is, you get penalized versus having a lower infield fly ball rate. So that's kind of what I've done as far as contact. And then power, what I've done is I have a reverse ground ball rate that I added into my power factor so that it's not just, okay, you're hitting the ball hard, you have good EVs, you know, like, no, I want to make sure you're hitting the ball in the air to generate extra base hits because you're hitting the ball on the ground as unlikely to become an extra base hit. And then also high uh, home run to fly ball rate. I'm, I added in, I didn't really have that factored into my equation last time, but those are the things that I've added in to kind of emphasize trying to get quality contact rather than just contact and nice EVs. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, that is kind of the correct process. That's pretty much what I look at for the most part. And I think it is important to kind of look at like, you know, how much a guy is, Swing outside the zone versus inside the zone and what kind of quality contact inside the zone. Uh, one of the things people will hear me reference uh, the most uh, when I'm talking about a hitter, like on the sleeper on the bust, is I want to know what his zone contact numbers look like, right? I want to know, can he make consistent contact in the zone when he swings? Uh, obviously, that doesn't necessarily always account for everything, but I think that is one of the truest ways to kind of come – to kind of figure out how good someone's hit tool is, right? If it's in the zone and you swing, are you making contact? Um, and are you making good contact? And it was something I really focused on last year because there was so much that was unknown with all the rule changes, right? Like, you know, we knew the stolen bases were going to change. We knew pitching was going to change. Um, but for hitters, like, what doesn't change? A good hitter makes contact. Right, a good hitter makes contact, and a bad hitter doesn't make contact. Pitchers, right, for the most part, good pitchers avoid contact, or at least avoid hard contact, um, and bad pitchers don't. So, 
I really focused in on a lot of that um, with great success in 2023. And I don't think there's that much of a reason to change that process. You know, you always want to add to it. You always want to tweak it as you do with your F scores. Um, but I think generally speaking, you know, like I know that the the guys who are flashing can hit 40 home runs or steal 40 bases are the ones that people really go for and look at in fantasy. But to me, I want really good hitters because really good hitters don't slump as much and really good hitters give themselves the opportunity to get lucky. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's dig now a little bit into the catchers. I'm not going to read the rankings and where I have everybody. If you want to see the rankings and the F scores themselves, go on friends with fantasy benefits and check out the article. What we're going to do is we picked out some specific uh, catcher battles or catcher topics that we're going to talk about in this podcast. So for the actual rankings, if you want the rankings and the F scores, look on friends with fantasy benefits, because that makes just for bad podcasting to read out numbers. So <laughs> what we're going to do uh, in tier one, this is kind of a topic is like, who's number one, Adley or real Muto. And Adley right now is a 50 ADP versus real Muto 72. And I heard you and Paul talking about this on sleeper in the bust. And to me, I think it really depends on the format. I think, and, and you were talking a little bit about this, but I think, to be honest, JT Real Muto for Roto, if you're drafting him in NFBC, like I think he should be the number one catcher over Adley. If you're in a points league or whatever, then I'd be going Adley all day. But uh, because, like you said, in the, the, the Sleeper the Bus uh, podcast, quantity and stuff like that. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on these two and like this – ADP battle that we have going on here for number one catcher. Yeah. I mean, I think you absolutely nailed it for me. I think the counting stats that real Muto gives you um, and just the long-term stability, real Muto has been a top two, three catcher in fantasy baseball for what, five, six years. Um, and I don't see any reason why that should change. Um, like, you know, you're going to get 20 home runs, you're going to get a decent uh, to good average and you're going to get uh, probably the most stolen bases of the catcher position, uh, you know, this year from him. And so to me, I'm totally fine taking Rumuto first overall in any Roto format. Uh, I think you make a good point though about Adley, especially in points leagues, especially ones that penalize for strikeouts. Um, uh, Adley just gets on base and he makes so much contact like 92% zone contact. I believe, uh, you know, for a guy like Adley is like absolutely elite. And again, guys who make a lot of contact in the zone, especially a lot of good contact, like he does give him, give themselves the opportunity to get lucky. I think there is going to be a year in which uh, Adley Rushman hits 300 may not be this year. Um, but like my projections not going to be that far off. Like I think I'll probably project him at like 285 or 290. Uh, just because I think he does such a good job of putting the ball in play. Uh, and, you know, I think the park hurts Adley a little bit, uh, but I mean, would not surprise me if at some point he, you know, hits 30 home runs as well. So uh, I'm a big fan of both. I tend to just wait on real Muto because you get him like 20 picks later. Yeah. I mean, that's, it really, it's a crazy value. You, and one of the guys that you were talking about that you went pretty deep on, this is this is an interesting one, Yanir Diaz, who, like, I honestly, going into the season, I thought I was going to be high on him, but then they announced, because I was thinking about this even before. I think I did catcher F-scores before 
Dusty Baker even retired. Like <laughs> that's how early I start and like trying to do this stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, Diaz, that's gonna be my guy next year. And then they have Dusty Baker retired. They got rid of Maldonado, and Yanir Diaz is gonna be the starting catcher. And then all of a sudden, yeah. all the way up the rankings. Um, so Diaz, you were talking about him being one of the better catchers this year. I have him in tier two, not in tier one. And this is something that I haven't heard anyone talk about yet because everyone's saying, okay, Diaz is going to be a beast. He's going to play every day, 30 home runs, yada, yada. But no catcher plays every day. Like yeah, even real Muto doesn't play every day. But the problem is for the Astros is that they've got Jordan kind of blocking a DH. So Diaz is not really going to get the DH app unless Jordan gets hurt. Or I mean, like he gets hurt a lot too, talking about injured guys like we were earlier, but um Jordan's going to be blocking up DH. So Diaz, most of his PAs are going to come from catcher, and he's not going to be playing every day. Even if he plays, like if he plays five out of seven, that's pretty solid. So that's that's something to consider with Diaz is I think people think, oh, yeah, he'll just be one of these guys that because he's such a good hitter, he'll be catcher DH, catcher DH. But don't forget about Jordan kind of blocking that spot. Yeah, I think that is one of the big problems with Diaz this year uh, because I think there are some people who are like, hey, if he gets like 600 plate appearances, he could go absolutely crazy. He's not getting 600 plate appearances. Very few catchers get 600 plate appearances. And it's usually because they can't play so many games at the DH or at first base, you know, a la Sal Perez, right? Like he can rack up those plate appearances because he DHs and plays first base. They've got a Brayu. They've got uh, Jordan Alvarez. Um, I mean, the nice thing is Jordan always gets hurt. So, I mean, there will be extra plate appearances thrown in there. But unless he has a catastrophic injury, like he's not gonna like Diaz isn't gonna catch or uh, DH full time, so it's not like he can just continue to rack those up. It would just be in the stints that uh, Jordan's out for, um, and I don't think that the Astros want uh, Alvarez to play the outfield, so um, or at least not regularly, maybe the occasional uh, time out there. But I think they need to keep him healthy at the DH spot. So, yeah. Um, I really like Alvarez because, or sorry, uh, Diaz because the skills are really, really nice and really good. But I think like a 475, 500 plate appearance projection is a lot more fair than maybe some of the other people are hoping for, uh, which kind, and I also don't know that he's going to hit with the same kind of prodigious power rate that he did in his uh, 370 something plate appearance mm-hmm. uh, sample uh, this last year. So I think. I'd probably project him for like mid twenties homers and a good batting average, which is fine uh, even where he's going. But I do have a fear that like March drafts start rolling around and people are going to go insane um, and start really pushing him even further. And I just think there's so many good catchers behind him that I'm okay waiting. Yeah. And then even like channeling my inner Ian Khan here a little bit, like you have to think about the mental side for Diaz because he had Maldonado to lean on for, Oh, like, he, he, who knows how much research Diaz even did? He could have just been asking Maldonado, okay, what's your report like for this guy? How do I, you know, how do I catch this guy? Like, for all we know, he's just completely leaning on Maldonado for all the defensive stuff. And now he's going to have to do all that himself. And that might be a lot mentally that he's going to be focusing on the defensive side a lot more than the offensive side this year. And you could see that kind of play into his fantasy stats uh, because of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I mean, there's a reason why catching prospects um, are something you shouldn't invest in in fantasy for the most part. It's because they take forever to get up. 
Um, and so now he's got to learn how to kind of really catch properly on the fly. Like that makes things even more difficult. Yeah. So some of the guys in my tier two that I want to talk about, I have as my number five catcher at the top of tier two, Wilson Contreras. And right now he's going as the number nine catcher on NFBC. I think that he's a bit of a steal. Uh, F score wise, he has a 98 contact, which is about at league average, but a 137 power. And the only guys that have a, a better power F score than him at catcher are Cal Raleigh and Logan Ohapi and Garver. I forgot about Garver. So you got three guys, three catchers with a better power ranking. And Contreras is one of these guys, just talking about Diaz, who is probably going to DH a lot when he's not catching because the Cardinals are bringing up Ivan Herrera. Uh, he, so he's going to be the backup catcher this year. And he should get some regular reps as catcher because he's a pretty good defensive catcher which is going to bump Contreras over to DH, uh, especially I think against lefties because you're going to have like Gorman, Donovan, like all these guys who would be DH are all lefties. So when you've got a lefty pitcher on the mound, I would not be surprised to see a lineup where you've got Herrera as the starting catcher and Contreras at DH in those instances. So I think we're going to see a lot of Wilson Contreras and he had a really good second half last year. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I completely agree with you. Like, I don't see a ton of like massive upside for Wilson Contreras, but I think he's one of the safer catchers in the game. Plays on a really good offense. I know the Cardinals were bad last year, but it wasn't an offensive issue uh, that they had. Uh, and so, and I imagine things will even get better, um, just generally speaking, in St. Louis uh, after kind of the dumpster fire of 2023. So, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite guys because I feel like he's perpetually underrated. Uh, he ends up on a lot of my teams, especially in auction leagues, because um, it feels like, you know, it feels like the bidding always stops at like 13, 14 bucks. Um, and I'm totally fine with a 13, 14 dollar Wilson Trez because he always seems to outproduce that. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I love safety, especially at a position where uh, you can have a lot of boomer bust. One guy, though, that we're going to talk about, you were kind of poo pooing on. And this mm -hmm. is this is a guy I love, Bo Naylor. I've got him at number seven for catcher. And this is another guy that I thought I was just going to be so much higher on than everybody else. And he's kind of evened out. He's going pretty high in drafts. Um, I think in, I was doing a DC and he went in, I want to say round 11 or something like that. I didn't even have a, I didn't even have a number three starter by the time that Bo Naylor went. I'll, I'll say that much uh, in that draft. But uh, where are you at on Bo Naylor and why are you kind of like uh, not so high on him exactly? Um. I worry about the playing time to be quite honest. Uh, and it's not that I don't think he's like going to get some of the minors or anything, but they brought in Austin Hedges, who's a defensive catcher, a defensive like uh, magician behind the plate. Can't hit work for lick. Never has been able to, uh, but he is just a premier catcher in the same kind of like Jeff Mathis mold where he's a guy like that. You don't like the bat, but you love what he can do behind the plate. And the guardians organization is known for pitching. And one of the reasons they're known for pitching is because they always give preferential treatment to really good catchers, um, including Hedges previously. So uh, not to say that Hedges is going to be the number one guy, but I think you could end up seeing less than 400 plate appearances from Naylor this year, which just isn't enough plate appearances for him to rack up the kind of stats that I think he could rack up if he was a full-time hitter. Uh, and that's a problem for me. And I think, uh, you're putting a lot of risk as him as your catcher number one if you're going to take that gamble considering the potential downside of like 350 plate appearances. So for me, I love the skills of Naylor, and if if I could guarantee 500 plate appearances, 
I'd be in with you, but because I can't, uh, I'm just going to avoid. And there's other guys going around the same spot or behind him that I, I really like. Yeah. So Naylor, as far as the playing time, I think his bat plays up well enough and their offense is weak enough that they could find, if they wanted to get creative, I feel like that they could get creative with him and find some where, you know, he could do some DHing. He could, I don't know how good he is defensively and, you know, if he's ever played left fielder first or something like that, but I feel like that's a bat that you want to try to keep in the lineup. And one, this is the, the big thing with Naylor. He's going to steal bases, right? There are only yeah. three catchers with an F speed that are over, that's over 100, which is league average. Uh, and that's Connor Wong, Bo Naylor, and JT Romuto are the only three catchers that have some speed. So like, that's kind of like, okay, you can get, 10 steals from this guy, right? Like that, that kind of shows you, okay, you can get a little more than 10 steals maybe um, depending on how much he plays. But even if he only plays part-time, like let's say he plays, if he gets 400 and like he plays two thirds of a season, let's say he gets like 420, 450 at bats or whatever. I still think that even with that, you're looking at a catcher who could probably go like 17 or 18 homers and 10 steals, which is so valuable at that position. Like I'd almost rather have that than Sean Murphy, 25 or 27 homers or whatever. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, I think there is a world in which he does that. I just have a hard time because I think Manzardo is going to be up very quickly. Um, and obviously his brother Josh is there. And so that kind of blocks off, you know, first base and in the DH spot for him. Uh, I mean, they easily could say, no, nah, you know what? we've got hedges. Maybe he beca hedges becomes the personal, you know, catcher of, you know, a certain pitcher or two or something like that. But Naylor's gonna, you know, catch, you know, four to five days a week and, and be the dude that could definitely be the case. I just, I, I always kind of go back to what has the Gardner guardians organization done for the last decade. And what they've done is put the best defensive catcher behind the plate, you know, with, you know, I mean, last year was like Mike Zeno. Like, I mean, they will, put guys who are negative value in the bat because they get positive value from the catching position um, uh, uh, defensively. Uh, and I just, I worry that that's going to be the case again. Yeah, I understand that. Hopefully they've learned their lessons, but some teams they like to keep making the same mistakes all over again. <laughs> yep. Uh, where are you at on Mitch Garver? I like, you know, I think Garver is one of the bigger steals of the draft and maybe him being a DH, he can stay healthy. I mean, like that, that, that's the hope, right? Like, that's the hope when you're drafting Mitch Garver. Is like, oh, he's going to be DH this time. Like, let's stay healthy. So where, where are you at on Garver this year? Yeah, uh, I, I'm with you. I think he is one of the bigger steals at the catching position. He's not going to be catcher eligible for long um, because, like, I don't think he's really going to catch much at all this season. But that's a problem for next year. Uh, it's all about health with Garver. When Garver is on the field – um, and swinging the bat, he's a good player. Uh, the problem is he has just not been able to stay on the field that much over the course of his career. Maybe the DH does solve it. I think I'm willing to take the gamble either way, right? You know, even if I only get 350 plate appearances or 400 plate appearances, I can backfill when he's injured. Uh, and I uh, and I think that he is going to be really, really good doing his 350 plate appearances. I would say that. You know, maybe two or three years or five years ago, like I probably would have stayed away from Mitch Garver, but because the pool is so much deeper and there is replacement value on the waiver wire uh, quite often, I think you actually should draft him in any format uh, and then 
kind of go, hey, I know I'm going to miss time with him. I'll pick up someone when he goes down because I, I think the per plate appearance basis, he could be a top seven catcher um, in the game, uh, even in Seattle. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, here's the dude that I've just been down on for years. I Every time I do my bus article, he's in it. But I feel like there's so many in the industry still trying to hang on. Salvi Perez, where are you at on Sal? I don't know why you hate Sal Perez, um, because all he does is rack up play appearances, hit 20-plus home runs with a decent batting average. I know it's ugly. I know the underlying skills scream year in and year out, and this is why like F-scores probably hates him, right? Um, it's because the underlying skills go, this guy's going to bust. This guy, like, father time's catching up. Like it, But we've been saying that for five or six years, and at some point you just keep going with it until it doesn't work anymore. You know, it, I mean, it's like the whole, um, you know, Chris Sale injury thing or – uh, the Tim Anderson Babbitt progression. Yeah, it 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 eventually caught up with Chris Sale. It eventually caught up with Tim Anderson. But people were wrong for a decade before it did. Um, and I, this is like the best price we've ever gotten Sal Perez at. You know he's going to play every day, whether it's at DH, first base, or behind the plate. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I've got no problem with Sal Perez. I've already drafted him a couple times. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about his backup a little bit later, who I also like. Yeah, dude. So here's his F scores. 104 contact, 59 plate discipline, which is the worst for any catcher. Uh, 108 power, 58 speed. So he's like above average contact and power. Makes sense, right? And then everybody knows he has atrocious plate skills. But then the speed is so bad, too, that like, to be honest, he's made it work with the bad plate skills the whole time, like his whole career. So that's not even what concerns me. It's more the speed. I'm like, when he loses that speed, He's just going to be so slow that he's not like he's going to be turn into one of these guys that's like Homer or walk type guy just because he's not going to be able to run out singles. Like I watched Albert Pujols play for a long time as a Cardinals fan, even like when he was on the Angels and just he was so slow that I feel like Salvi's going to be like that at catcher where it's just like, okay, walk, home run, strikeout or whatever, because like he's too slow to even like hit a single at this point. Uh, you're not wrong necessarily. I mean, I'm, Father Time catches up with every player. I just uh, – it's one of those things where I, I know I know a lot of people in the fantasy industry or in playing fantasy in general are always like, well, I want to get out one year early as opposed to one year late. I'd rather just get mm-hmm. out one year late because I'm going to get a lot of years. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to get a lot of years unless I see like major red flags that tell me like, hey, now it's time to get out. Uh, like You're going to get a lot of years of useful – uhness out of these guys because these are the kind of guys that just defy the numbers right like and this is why like uh you know i mean i live by and die by the numbers um in the same way a lot of people do uh but this is why watching the game is so important because you see it when he's up there like he just knows how to hit um he doesn't like necessarily have a good approach or like even a mediocre approach up there but like dude knows how to hit um and i don't think he's lost that yet so uh, um, yeah, I'm totally fine at this price, like, you know, taking the gamble. Yeah. I, I mean, in a DC, I feel it for like just the PAs, <laughs> just for, just yeah. for the PAs, just get yeah. in there. You know, you're going to get 550 plate appearances, you know, and it's, you know, as long as he's healthy, like he's just going to be a workhorse. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next tier, we have Francisco Alvarez. 
Are you on an Alvarez, a pro Alvarez, or Alvarez is a little overrated type uh, feel right now? What do you think? I just think there's so many guys going behind him um, that I would just much rather have, that I think have a safer profile. The the upside's huge, and uh, so I totally understand why he's going where he's going, but like he was truly atrocious um, in the second half and really all season versus left-handed pitching. Uh, and like I just think that like he, the power is legitimate. Like we know, like he could hit 35 home runs from the catcher spot. I just don't know how long the Mets will continue to run him out there if he's striking out at like a 35, 40% rate. And I just think that's where he's kind of headed with the way he kind of swings the bat. Like it's a violent swing, but he has very little back control with it. Uh, and I think that is going to continue to be a problem. Um, you know, we saw the Mets send down guys like Brett Beatty, who didn't even wasn't even that bad necessarily. You know, they'll send down Francisco Alvarez too. And even if they don't, like his batting average could legitimately be like 180, um, which just murders you. So uh I'm I would rather take other guys that have got similar profiles a hundred picks later. Yeah, I agree. So let me give you one out of young guys. You're going, are you, are you going Moreno or Alvarez? I think I can guess. Moreno. I mean, I, uh, I don't think Moreno has a ton of upside, but like, I think his profile is so, so much safer. Are you going Heim or Alvarez? Heim, not even close. Camposano or Alvarez? Camposano, not even close. Oh, Ryan Jeffers or Alvarez? <clears throat> That one's a little bit tougher. Um, I don't buy a lot of what Jeffers did in uh, in twenty twenty three. Um, like the the underlying skills aren't great. They're not like fall off the table necessarily bad. And I do think he's got the role, uh, but like I just don't know that he's as special as maybe the short sample said last year. Uh, and so like I would. I'm more likely to get Jeffers because he goes cheaper, but like if we're if we're saying like given the same price, I'll I guess I would take the upside and maybe Alvarez gets lucky in the Babbitt department and kind of feels like a 220 batting average with those 30 something home runs. Have I got a surprise for you? Oh I did a, oh. I did a player A and player B on the X machine last night. It's still got two hours left for the vote. 54 votes. Player A is Salvador Perez and player B is Ryan Jeffers. And right now Ryan Jeffers is at 68 and a half percent versus player a 31 and a half percent. So, well, I won't go mess with liking those the Jeffers F scores. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily mind Jeffers. I just, maybe I'm underselling him a little bit. You know, you're talking about a guy who's probably like a, 29, 28% strikeout rate. He does walk, which actually is something that I love to see from a guy like a catcher because you'll just get cheap runs that way. He's not around league average zone contact. I don't know. I'm just like, I. He's maybe he has I, good power too. He hits the ball hard. 90.5 yeah. average exit velocity. Max EV last year, he had a 117.4 yeah. max EV. Which is insane for a catcher. Um, he he's got good power. I think this is the year too. He could really play like though. I think he like. I've been a little bit on the Jeffers bandwagon the last few years, but the thing that always stopped me from drafting him 
is that he wasn't going to get PT. But yeah. this year he is. Uh, he's going to be the starting catcher to Vasquez this year. Uh, so he should get the majority of playing time. And he's going so cheap still. Like, I got him in a DC in like round 18 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he's currently going at 250. I think that's a good spot for him. Um, you know, I prefer Langoliers to him. Um, but I think he, you know, he's right kind of in the Langoliers, Danny Jansen, Elias Diaz, Alejandro Kirk uh, kind of area. I think that's probably right for him. Um, I think he's so much know? better than all those guys. It's it just, but for him, it's all about the PT. I feel like if he gets a full season, like a full regular catcher season, not saying he's going to be Marcus Semien out there. Like, I think he's going to be so much better than all those guys if he does. I don't know that he is better than all of them. Um, I think he's definitely better than Diaz. Um, but Diaz has Colorado. Um, mm -hmm. I think he's he might be a, a little bit better, at least in the hit tool, than Langoliers. But Langoliers has that power. Um, and we know Langoliers is just going to play. Like, they suck, and they don't really have anybody else. Um I don't think he's better necessarily than Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk, but what he does have is he doesn't have another catcher that he's going to be splitting time with, you know, on a 50, 50 basis, which is what Kirk and Jansen continue to deal with in mm -hmm. uh, Toronto. So yeah, I'm, you're, you're bringing me up a little bit. Um, I'm not super in on him, but uh, I'm, I'm maybe a little higher than we started the podcast with. <laughs> yes. Mission accomplished. Uh, <laughs> between Kiber Ruiz and Gabby Moreno for their prices, who are you picking right now? Oh man, I mean, they're kind of the same guy, aren't they? Like, um, and you, F scores you, basically has them the same, has F scores has the slight edge to Moreno. Uh, Moreno's I, got a four percent better contact rate, a one percent better power rate, and a 20 percent better on the speed, but besides that, they're the exact same guy. Yeah, and I mean, you get Ruiz a tad bit cheaper, um, but like maybe around. The difference really for me um, becomes you get the lineup around uh, Moreno in Arizona, um, which is just drastic. I mean, the Nationals signed Joey Gallo today. Like that's where the Nationals <laughs> are. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and the Arizona backs were just in the World Series. Like, it's just night and day offense um, around him is, is better in, in Arizona for Moreno. So I, I definitely go Moreno, um, but I like both of them because in spite of, I think both don't have particularly high upsides. What they both do have is really high floors from young guys. Um, and I think they're going to play quite a bit. So uh, I like them both. I lean Moreno, uh, but I would not be sad if I ended up with Ruiz. Tier four. Camposano, I already know you're in on him because you already talked yep. positively about him. But what, what do you think? Like, how good is he going to be? Do you think he's going to be Moreno, like last year, like Moreno of 2024, basically? Like, what are your thoughts on Camposano all around? Uh, I mean, I don't think like if he ends up being um, like just a prorated version of 2023, like this is going to be an amazing season because like you know he had seven home runs in a in 174 plate appearances, like. You know, that 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 could be massive. Um, I mean, this is a former top prospect. This is one of those guys that just kind of got forgotten about in a large part because uh, he was so bad defensively and they kept bringing in defensive catchers. That still isn't 
necessarily solved. Like he's not a good defensive catcher by any stretch of the imagination, but he has worked hard to become passable um, behind the plate. Uh, and I, you know, in spite of their losses, I still think San Diego is a pretty good offense, uh, and there is a lot of pop in this bat. Uh, you know, obviously small sample last year with it only being 174 plate appearances, but 91% zone contact hits the ball hard. Uh, you know, only a 9% swing strike rate. Uh, I'm I'm pretty enthused by Luis Camposano, uh, and I think he's one of those guys that I'm just hoping doesn't get too much helium as we get into March. Yeah, I think that's the type of catcher you want as a catcher too, because he's gonna if yeah. you can if you can snag him as a catcher too, because he's gonna have a good batting average for a catcher. Like he's probably going to hit 270 to 280, somewhere in that range, I would say. And I mean, even if the home run, like I think the power is going to regress some and he's going to be more like a 15 to 18 type home run guy than, you know, more than 20. But just the batting average alone, if you can get him as a catcher too, that's pretty yeah. sick. <laughs> yeah. He's a perfect catcher too. Like, um, yeah. Like in this this tier of guys, like I I really like like you mentioned, you know we already talked about Mitch Garver, Jonah Heim, uh, you know I, I've mentioned Shane Langoliers a couple times. Like I, I don't even mind waiting until this tier to just double tap. Like Jonah Heim was the best catcher in baseball before getting injured um, from a fantasy perspective, and uh, and then like and then he was hurt like and played hurt like he needed surgery and didn't get it just so he could try to be there for the World Series. Uh, so like Jonah Heim, like if if I ended up with Jonah Heim and Luis Capisano as my two catchers, I'm not going to be mad at all about that. Yeah, for sure. What about the cheat code, Henry Davis? I was just in a DC dude where his ADP was like 300, and I was like, I'm going to snag Davis, and then he went at like 220. Yeah, um, he's rising. He's rising. He is because everybody's figuring out what you and I have figured out, which he is, you know, former top pick um that isn't catcher eligible right now but he will be probably two weeks into the season all of a sudden you're going to get a guy who's playing every day because on his off days he's going to dh or play in the outfield um and like there's a lot of talent in that bet i don't know that he's even major league ready at this point but the pirates don't seem to care the pirates you know got aggressive with him i'm fine with that uh you know let him learn on the job and uh, you know, with uh, them losing their other catcher, who for some reason I'm blanking on his name right at this moment. Uh, Andy he's Rodriguez. Gonna, thank you, Andy Rodriguez. Like he's gonna play behind the plate, and all you need him to do is get ten games in season, five in Yahoo, uh, and he's catcher eligible. So yeah, like he's one of those guys you throw onto your bench. You know, you're not gonna use him for the first two weeks, but after the first two weeks, you get to drop that catch, that second catcher. So, uh, you know, like. Yeah, if I, if I can get him around pick 250, I think I'm pretty happy. Are you picking Henry Davis first or Tyler Stevenson? Henry Davis. Ooh. I've okay. loved Tyler Stevenson <laughs> in the past. But at some point, you have to produce. And this team is now so loaded that he's no longer going to get those first base DH at-bats, right? He's just a catcher. And so, like, you're talking about, like, 375 plate appearances of a guy who – has raw power in the bat, but has never been able to unlock at the major league level. Maybe he does at some point. I'm hoping he does because I, like I said, I've loved him. I loved him for a really long time, but at this point he needs to show me something before I'm willing to like buy back in. Yeah. Where are you at on these all power guys? Like Lears, 
Gary Sanchez, uh, Jake Rogers. Are you in the camp that you can make them work? Or are you in the camp that you don't even want them because they're going to hurt your batting average too much? I like Langoliers just because I know the playing time is really, really safe. Um, and I know there's a ton of power. You do have to worry about the batting average, but I think he's hit tools just good enough where hopefully he doesn't hurt you too bad. Um, he's just going so cheap. Like, you know, like why would you draft a guy like Francisco Alvarez when you get Langoliers hundred picks later? Um, you know, Gary Sanchez, uh, does he, is he going to have a job? Like, I just don't know. Like he sh- probably should, but like he bounced around to what, like four different teams last year or something like that. No, it was <laughs> he, only two. he still hit like uh, 19 homers. <laughs> he did. Uh, and it was in less than 300 plate appearances, but like, he's got to find a job. Like, uh, and I, you know, maybe he does. And if he does, I'll come around, but I'm not drafting him until I know, uh, that he has a job. Rogers is one that I'm really like, I haven't done his projection yet. Um, it's coming up here sometime this week. It's when I really want to dig into more because, um, after talking to Ariel and Ruvain on their podcast, or their catch up preview afterwards, not on the air, we should talk about it on the air. Um, like they're like, look at him and tell me what you think. And I was like, God, he's got really, really bad contact skills. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't swing outside the zone. The swing and strike rate actually isn't that high. He's, you know, and they're obviously power in that bat. I just don't know, like, how, f- like, that, t- those 21 home runs and 365 plate appearances seem really, really fluky. Like, there's, uh, you know, I mean, it was a 23% home run to fly ball rate. Um, I, I, I really honestly don't know what to make of him. Um, I think he's, I a, to- draft I think he's a 20 homer bat. I just, the contact skills aren't there. He's going to probably hit two, yeah. 220 or 200 to 220 or whatever. But yeah. like, I think, I think he's going to hit 20 homers even with the bad contact. Yeah. I mean, I think it, a lot of it will depend on how much the, uh, the Tigers let him play. He is a good defensive, like a really good defensive catcher, mm-hmm. which obviously helps. Um, and so I think even, I think, I think he's nice as a volume play, right? Like as a C2 volume play, because, He's got probably 70 grade catching ability. Um, and so I think that, especially with all their new pitchers, like they they want they probably want a stabilizing force behind the plate. So yeah, I could see 20 home runs, but it comes with a 220 average. And that's just something you got to plan for, right? Like if you are if if you get to that point in the draft and you're like having to decide between a guy like Jake Rogers, um, and uh I'm trying to think of a a different guy, like, uh, you know, guy going right behind him, like Patrick Bailey, look at your batting average and go like, yeah, Bailey's probably not going to hit as many home runs, but I, I feel a little bit better about Bailey's hit tool. Um, so if I, if I got batting average problems already, I'm not going to take Rogers, but if my batting average is fine um, and I can, you know, afford to take 425 plate appearances of a 220 batting average, then yeah, I'll, I'll take Rogers because 20 home runs at that point in the draft is 20 home runs. Yeah, I agree. Deep sleepers. Uh, I've got just to throw some names out there, kind of like Connor Wong is a nice one uh, later in drafts. And then even later than that, Yvonne Herrera, I've already mentioned. I think he's going to get some nice playing time this year. And then I like Amaya, Freddie Fermin, Max Stassi, actually, with the White Sox, could get some PT. He could even maybe take over that job if Maldonado, um, you know, has 
age. I mean, Maldonado's about 39 or 40 or something now. So, so I, I don't know, like being that old and being in the role, like we saw that Diaz got some good runs. So Stassi could be in for a rebound year after the bad year last year. And do you have any deep sleepers? Honestly, these rookies, like there's a lot of nice, really young catchers, but I don't think any of those guys are coming up like uh, Jefferson or Edgar Caro or Teal. I, I think those guys are all going to be like 2025 guys. So I wouldn't even waste a pick on them in a DC, to be honest. Yeah. If I'm going to, you know, like I limit myself to how many uh, guys, how many um, rookies or injury prone players that I'll be, that I'm willing to draft. Uh, and so because I do that uh, in a DC, like it's never going to be a catcher. Cause like I said, catchers take forever because they need to learn how to hit catch uh, you know, um, throw runners out and call a ball game. Like there's a lot that goes into being a catcher. Um, and so like, I just never bank on a guy coming up, uh, you know, especially early on in the season, if we didn't see them debut at all in, in the previous year. So I'm with you on the rookie catchers, uh, as far as sleepers really like Freddie Freeman. Like, um, like I know he's got, uh, Sal Perez in front of him, but Sal Perez also does DH a lot. He does play first base. He has had injuries in the past. Like I like for him and as a guy, like, especially as your, you know, third or fourth catcher um, in a DC, like, or a guy that you just kind of put on your watch list uh, for that moment where Sal Perez goes down. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely into him. He's uh, like, there, there's some real power and some real contact ability. Uh, and I do think maybe at some point, they hand the reins to Furman and uh, and just let Sal just be a full-time DH. I don't know that it happens this year, but maybe we start to see that transition of like, you know, Sal Perez only catches half time and, and Furman catches the other half and goes to those other games that Perez is playing first or, uh, or at DH. So, um, yeah, he's been one of the guys that I've pretty much gotten in every DC so far this year. He hits high the lineup too. It's so funny. There was a yeah. time last year that I want to say I was watching a Royals game and the lineup was like wit with Melendez, Salvi, and for like two, three, four behind Bobby Witt. You're like three catchers. All right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's it. Unless you have anything else to add. Um, Jay, uh, Justin, where can we, what are you doing right now? You're everywhere still. You're, Sleep in the bus, friends of fantasy benefits. What else you do? Uh, you got TGFBI going on? What else you got going on right now? Yeah. So, um, yeah, fan graphs and fantasy pros where you find the majority of my written content. Um, and then, yeah, hear me on Sleeper in the Bus and uh, the Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast. Haven't restarted Friends of Fantasy Benefits yet. Uh, I assume I will at some point, but I have just been swamped and trying to finish projections. And so I'm like, I'm just putting that off until I get my projections done. Um, because I'm so far behind, but yeah, TGFBI go sign up for either the actual contest or the satellite, uh, and come play against Tim and I. That's right. All right. We'll see you next time.